At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World, where we'll learn to reject culture's endless stream of quick fixes for God's time-tested truth. Together, we'll rediscover age-old practices that draw us to Him, where true satisfaction awaits. All right, this morning, if you have a Bible, electronic device, I encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. We're going to continue our series this morning, and we're going to begin in chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Chapter 2, verse 12 of Ecclesiastes. Let me ask you this question while you're turning there. Have you ever had the opportunity to watch a teenager do something foolish? (laughs) That. That was easy. <laughs> right? We have the, just in observation, maybe you have teenagers of your own, or maybe you were a teenager once, and maybe you were, uh, you've done something foolish, or you see someone do something foolish. And what's the question that you have on your mind when you see someone do something foolish? It's like, what were you thinking, right? Like, what were you thinking doing whatever it was? Well, I did some research this week, and I found out that why a lot of times students or young people do foolish things, it's because their brains are not yet fully developed. See, there's uh, the, the frontal part of our, our brain called the prefrontal cortex is the part of the brain that's responsible for rational thinking. It's the part of our, our brain that responds to situations with good judgment, and it also helps us be aware of long-term consequences. And studies so, and scientists and doctors say that this part of our brain is not really fully developed until about 25 years old. Yeah, so some of you are like, dang. So we, have the, we don't have the ability to look to the future and see consequences because of our actions. And for teenagers, you know the part of their brain that works in hyperdrive as they're young? It's the feeling part of their brain. And so when you go to a kid and you're like, why did you do that? What were you thinking? And they're like, I wasn't thinking, I was only feeling. And so they're doing a lot of the things based on what they feel, not on what they think. And so I I bring all this up for you to to understand that God has wired us and created us very uniquely. And he has given us the ability as we assess life and we look at things to be able to make judgment calls and to even be able to look at what I'm doing now has impact in the future. But even though we have that ability... Even though God has given us that ability to look at current situations and how they have consequences, I wonder how many people actually take the time to consider and to envision the road that their life is on now where it actually leads. I I mean, I wonder, like if we think about, we know that in our life that we have decisions, right? We make decisions every day, but do we understand the decisions that we're making today are leading us towards a specific destination? And if our decisions today are making us, uh, moving us towards a specific destination, do we know where that destination is? I, I have a feeling that we live in a world where we don't really consider the destination of our decisions. And that's what I want us to, to talk about today. You see, I, I believe that we live in a world where 
we are given this ambition, right, which is a desire to achieve, and this desire to achieve drives the day, but what is the end of our ambition? Have we ever thought about that? Right, if you're like me, you, you were brought up in a home that says you got to work hard in school so that you can get good grades. And so that you can get good grades, you need to get good grades so you can get into a good college. And then in college, you got to work really, really hard so that you get good grades so that you can graduate so that you can go get the good job. Right? And then when you work really, really hard at that good job, you get a good paycheck. And that paycheck, wants you want to use that paycheck so that you can go get a good house. And eventually you want to have a good family. Right? And then eventually you're doing all these things so that you can send your kids to a good school. So that they can have a good life and so they can have a, a good job. And then the end, you come to the end and you're like, I work really, really hard so that I can retire. What's at the end of all of that? Have you considered it? Right, when we think about someone that does something super amazing in their life, like think about Michael Phelps. Right, like Michael Phelps is the greatest swimmer of all time. And yet with all of his gold medals, he's accomplished all of that. He's put in all of the hard work. He's sacrificed and he's surrendered and he's accomplished and he's achieved. And now what? Right, what's there for him? What is the destination of his life? Where does it all end? question I want us to consider this morning is where does ambition and the desire for individual achievement lead us? What is that end? I want us to consider what is the end of all of this. This is the question that King Solomon is seeking to answer in the passage that we're going to look at today. You know, over the several past weeks, we've been looking at this series entitled Smoke and Mirrors. We've been walking through this book of Ecclesiastes that Solomon, King Solomon, has written as he has um, sharing with us the things that he's learned in life trying, as he's tried to pursue peace, as he's tried to pursue meaning, as he's tried to pursue understanding in this world. And if you've been here through the series, you know that, that Solomon says that there are only two views at, at which to draw meaning from this world that God has created. He says either there's the view that we view everything as under the sun, meaning that everything that is here is, is here. There's nothing more. There's nothing outside of this created order or this world, not created because it's a very secular view. So we would see this as a secular view, as being a view that this is all that there is, that there is no God, there is no creator, there's only chance, and everything is moving in a direction towards futility. So that's one view. One, is, one view is the secular view. The other view that he says is, is the view we can view life as under heaven, meaning under the authority and control of God, that God has created all things and he is the ultimate authority uh, in life and derives meaning from all that he has made. And so what we've been doing is we've been walking through these, these two views. And each week we've been taking this idea of secularism, life under the sun, and we've been breaking it down as Solomon does, and he dismantles all of these smaller views of secularism. The first week we, we dismantled the idea of naturalism, meaning that, that all that we have and all that we are is here, that, that life began as a cosmic chance, and that creation wasn't creation by someone else, that it happened as, as, as a thing of chance. 
And what Solomon says is that, that can't be the answer because if, you live, if nature is all that there is, then nature is following a cyclical cycle that's going nowhere. The seasons change, the, the days, the sun comes up and the sun goes down and people live and people die and there's this cycle that keeps on going, but it's not moving anywhere, it's not going anywhere. And he says that, is lead, that leads to futility. Life is meaningless under the sun. The second view we took a look at was that of intellectualism. This is the idea that says that, that we can, uh, with our minds, the smarter we become, the more like God we can become and the less we need God. That if we think it, it can happen. But the problem with intellectualism is you, can, you may be able to cure cancer with intellectualism, but you can't cure death. Intellectualism can't end racism. Intellectualism can't heal broken marriages. And so intellectualism isn't the answer. Well, last week we looked at Solomon and Solomon says, well, maybe the goal in life then is to pursue pleasure. Do whatever feels good for me. This is the idea of hedonism. This is do whatever feels good to you. And we learned last week that that's not where it's found because even if you have all the pleasure in the world, all of this, the best the pleasure this world has to offer is fleeting. And he says, it's meaningless. So the pursuit of pleasure under the sun doesn't suffice. And today, what we're going to take a look at is another view of secularism, which is ambition or individualism. This is a kind of another thought that rules the day, right? We all want to be on our own, by ourselves, doing our own things, achieving great things. And what Solomon's going to say today is that even with all the ambition of the world, if, even if you attain all that you possibly can, it's still meaningless under the sun. Let's turn our attention now to chapter 2, verse 12. Solomon writes, he says, So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there's no more gain, that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there's more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks around in darkness. So what Solomon begins by saying is if we're going to stay with this secular view as under the sun, he says there's only two ways to live. Either you can live in wisdom or you can live in folly or madness or foolishness. So either you're going to pursue wisdom or you're going to pursue madness and folly. And Solomon says that he has pursued both of these to the extremes. He's pursued wisdom and he's pursued madness and folly trying to seek meaning and purpose. And it's almost as though Solomon, as he's looking, he's, he's saying, I've experienced it all. No one that comes after me, no king that comes after me, nobody that comes after me will be able to experience anything different or anything more than what I've experienced. So he's using himself as the standard. Nothing will be new, nothing will be different. And from his search and from his experience, he's learned that wisdom has more gain than folly. For wisdom brings about benefit or it, it brings about a profit when you apply wisdom. This is why Solomon is, is likening the difference here between light and darkness. He says you, when you seek wisdom, you actually have the ability to see. You're actually able to, to consider life and you're able to, to make good choices. 
where when you live in folly, you're in darkness and you don't know where you're going. And so you're going to stumble over this and stumble over that and find yourself in ruin. He finds out that living widely, wisely leads to success in this life. And we know this as well. Right? If, if you live as a good person in this world, a lot of the times you find success. Right? If, if you work hard, you can be a success. If you have a good work ethic, you can be successful. If you have good morals, you can be successful. If you're honest, you can be successful. So he says, live wise. If you seek wisdom, you can be successful in this life. You can have the nice house. You can have the nice car. You can have the vacation home. You can do all of those things. You can have the nice retirement account. He says, whereas if you live in folly, that definitely will bring you to failure. And what we know about Solomon's life is that Solomon himself has reached the pinnacle of achievement. He has not, uh, he has allowed his ambition to run wild. He has sought to make a name for himself through all kinds of achievements. This didn't happen by dumb luck, but he was diligent. He worked hard in all of his successes. He says that I am the greatest success that no one after me will have any more success than that. If Solomon were alive in our day, he would be a man that's nearing the end of his career. That his life has been sought with, with much success, much knowledge, much understanding. He would be similar to maybe like a Bill Gates of today. Someone that's had a lot of experience, made a lot of money and is very successful. Or maybe he's an older Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg. He's a man of wisdom that has achieved great status and greatness. It's kind of funny because in many ways... Solomon is expressing or identifying this Western idealism and this ambition and achievement that, that we, a lot of us as Americans, hold to. We're, we're told through our culture that we're uh, taught to achieve more, attain more, to be stronger, to be better. And really all of that is, is moving towards individualism. Be the best that you can be. Be the best version of yourself. Work hard and be successful. That's why we even have in our world today, we call people the GOAT, right? The greatest of all time. We have the greatest of all time in sports. We have the greatest of all time in pol the politician. We have the greatest of all time in this. We have the greatest of all time in this. And so we use these words to validate our achievements. And so many of us, are brought up totting that we are to strive towards individualism, to make it all about us, to be successes unto ourselves. And though I don't know many people in my circle of friendships uh, and, and they consider Woodside their home, I don't see a whole lot of people saying, hey, my goal in life is to be the next Bill Gates or my, my goal in life is to, to be the next Henry Ford. What I see in our culture and what I see among our people is this pursuit of the good life. Now think about that for a moment. 
People determine success and achievement in, in our culture, in our time, by the good life. If I can just have a good life, everything will be okay. I, I don't need to have a fat bank account. I just need to know at the end of the day, at the end of the month, the bills are paid. I need to know at the end of the day, I have a, a home for my kids. My kids are going to a good school and we're in a good area. We're in a safe area. I got a good job. I got a good spouse. Everything's good. You guys following me? Success is good. Not great. We don't need to have a house in Beverly Hills. We just need to have a roof over our head and it's good. This is what we're taught to pursue is good. Ultimately, as Solomon is talking about all of this achievement, all of this ambition, all of this stuff, what he says is a pursuit like this is chasing after the wind. The pursuit of wisdom, the pursuit of achievement, this, the pursuit of goodness is absolutely meaningless. That was his conclusion. After experiencing all of it, not having good, but having great, he says it's all meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. And so we must come with the question. The first question is, why don't accomplishments ultimately satisfy? Why are we not satisfied with just having good? Why are we not satisfied with what we have? Well, Solomon gives us that answer in verse, beginning in verse 14. Look with me. He says, and yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then I have, have I been so wise? And I said in my heart that this is also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. Hear these words of wisdom today, church. He gives us two reasons why worldly accomplishments, accomplishments under the sun, do not ultimately satisfy. The first reason, he says, regardless of whether you lived as a wise person or you lived as a fool, whether you achieved much or you achieved very little, we all end in the same place, the same event, he says. The same event is death. This is where we end under the sun. Your life ends in death. You will not live forever, no matter how much you hope and no matter how much you think that you can overcome it and that it's going to happen to everyone else but you, but you are going to die. Death is your end. Death is the great neutralizer for Solomon as he recognizes that it doesn't matter how you lived. It doesn't matter if you were the goat or if you were a fool. Death is the destiny of everyone. History tells the story of Alexander the Great. Now think about that for a name. Like you gotta live up to that. Right, Alexander the Great, who one day is walking out and he sees his friend, the great philosopher, Diogenes, he sees his good friend Diogenes, who is also a philosopher. He's standing in a field, 
And he goes up to Diogenes and he's like, hey, what are you doing? And Diogenes says this. He says, I'm searching for the bones of your father, Philip. But I cannot seem to distinguish his bones from those of the bones of slaves. Did you catch that? Death is the destiny of all of us. And it doesn't matter what we've accomplished on the, in this world. It doesn't matter if you were the greatest mom or the greatest dad or the greatest boyfriend or the greatest. It doesn't matter. In the end, we all die. The one reason, one of the reasons that living for accomplishments can leave us feeling so empty it's because we know that when we accomplish those things, that all those accomplishments go away. We may enjoy the things that we've, we've accomplished and the things that, that we acquire, but we know that we can't take it with us when we die, that it stays here. And so the first reason we can't find meaning in accomplishments is because death is our end. And the second reason that Solomon gives us he says that, that these accomplishments don't truly satisfy because all of our achievements and all of our accomplishments will be forgotten over time. No matter how much noise you make in this world, no matter how many things you bring to make life easier, you will be forgotten. Even among the greatest people that still show up in our history book, think about the droves and droves and droves and droves and droves and droves and droves of people that you don't know who they were, what they've done, where they lived. You don't know anything about them. Do you know your great, 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 great grandmother? What we do in life will be forgotten. This is coming from a man who has done everything good. He is in the top of his field. And we're even reading about him today. And so even though he's living on, Solomon will be forgotten. Even the greatest legacies that we may leave will all be rendered meaningless this is what Solomon sees he takes back with his prefrontal cortex and he considers life and he says if I'm following the world under the sun if I'm seeking to find meaning in this life through my accomplishments it's going to get me nowhere and this is what he says in verse 17 this is so true he says so I hated life I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and striving after the wind. He hates life. He's like, there's no purpose, there's no meaning. Why even do anything? If it's not going to bring about meaning, it doesn't bring about peace, it doesn't bring about understanding. He finds his life empty and pointless. Life under the sun is not happy. Oh, there are great dangers in living for the good life. 
if we are only living for the good life, it's still gonna leave us chasing after the wind. I wanna tell you the story about a guy that I knew, and you might know him too, his name is Ben. Several years ago, after finding out that he had cancer, Ben was really struggling with life. His, his wife was, was a part of our church and she was faithful to be a part of our women's Bible studies and everything like that. And, and Ben was just a good guy. Like you, you talk about Ben and ben, everyone would be like, Ben's a good guy. Ben's a hard worker. I know Ben's a good guy because he'll be there for me in the time of need. I can call Ben at 2 a.m. in the morning and Ben's gonna come to my side. Everyone knew this about Ben. So after Ben got cancer, he and I had a chance to, to talk one day on a Saturday afternoon. I'm like, Ben, what's going on? And he's like, I've worked so hard for a good life. He's like, look around. I got a good car. I got a good house. I got a pool in the back. I got a great family. I got a great wife. Like life is good. He had it all. He had everything that he wanted. And now he's got cancer. And life doesn't feel so good. Life doesn't seem so good. And in this time, he begins to contemplate his own mortality. He had been living his life under the sun. Oh, he, he understood that there was a God. He knew that there was, and he believed that there was a God. But he didn't want to surrender to that God. Ben wanted to live the good life. And he got everything that he wanted. but he still knew that there was something missing. Because at this point, he began to ask the question, he's like, what is the point? I've lived a good life and now I have cancer. What did I do to deserve this cancer? I have not offended God. I have not killed. There are a bunch of bad people in the world. I haven't done any of that. I've been a good person. And now why do I have cancer? And in his own way, he expressed the same thing that Solomon did. He says, good is not good enough. So he struggled to make sense of his life. I left there that afternoon telling him about the love of God and how he can find meaning and purpose in Jesus but he wasn't quite ready yet. So he left. I left, and I knew that he was going to struggle, and he struggled, and he struggled to try to make sense of all of this. He had lived his life one way, and now when his life was put to test, what he believed wasn't giving him meaning and purpose and understanding. Living under the sun is meaningless. Living under the sun doesn't bring about meaning especially as it's related to our ambition. And so this is the point that Ecclesiastes is getting to. This is the point where Solomon is coming. When you live life in a secular way under the sun, you're always gonna end up in a meaningless, worthless place. And so you have to look someplace else. And Solomon does in other places in Ecclesiastes, he pulls back and he says, okay, under the sun doesn't work, so let's look under heaven. And one of the things that we need to understand today as we look at life under heaven, we need to understand that God is ultimately supreme. That God is supreme. 
You see, our problems with our accomplishments and our ambition and ambitions is that they come from ourselves and they are pursuits for ourselves. And you need to understand that you were not designed that way. You and I are not designed to bring accomplishments and, and accolades and achievements to ourselves for our own glory. How do I know this? Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. God says this. He says it through the prophet Isaiah. He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. See, God, because he's supreme, reminds us that he is supreme in his glory, that his glory is eternal, and that his glory is shared with no, no one else. No matter what we achieve, we will never eclipse God. No matter how great you are, you will never eclipse God. Because God is supreme. I love how the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11, writes this about God as he describes him. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who, has, who has been his counsel? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him all are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. See, what Paul is expounding upon is the supremacy of God, that he's unsearchable, that he's unscrutable, that his mind is unknowable by us, that he doesn't need anyone to counsel him, that he is himself the very end. Everything is from him and everything is for him. And so everything about us, even our ambitions and our achievements, should be for him. See, we're told in our lives that we are to make much of ourselves. Live this life and make, make as much noise as possible so history knows that you were here and that is rubbish. The goal of our life is not to make much of ourselves, but the goal of our lives is to have our hearts and our minds aligned with God and his glory so that we live our lives making much about him. That's when you find peace. That's when you find understanding. That's when you find meaning. You don't believe me? Tonight, go out. I hope it's a clear night. Go out tonight and look at the moon. Consider the gloriness of the moon just for a few moments tonight. You see it in its radiance. You see it in its, in its beauty. But do you know the moon in and of itself is not the source of light? All the moon is doing is reflecting the light from the sun. Ever thought about that? Our lives are meant to be like moons. You are not the sun. You are the moon. We are moons. Where all we can do is reflect the glory of our Father. Because it's Him that's given us life. It's Him that's given us breath. It's Him that's given us purpose. It's Him that gives us everything. And with our lives, we make much of Him. So let's go be moons. Amen. 
God is not calling us to completely reject ambition. Like I'm, not, I'm not proclaiming that you and I just go home and sit on our couch and do nothing. God has given you gifts, talents, and abilities. God has given you all the resources at your fingertips, not so that you can make a, a, a monument to yourself, but so that all that you have can be given to glorify God, even in the job right now that you hate. God has given you that as a gift, as an opportunity to glorify him. Here's the second truth I want us to see. I'll cover this briefly. Is that God shares his victories with his people. Now this is important for us to grasp and understand. Because if if God is ultimately supreme, if God is all about his glory and God is doing everything for his glory, then what God does in all of that is he shares his victories with us. It's almost as though he welcomes us to be a part of his team. He says, yeah, it's all about my glory and I want you to live. I want you to live on my team so that you can glorify me, so you can make much of me. And when you do that, that's when you will find peace. That's when you'll find meaning. And the world, the world's like, no, that's crazy. You want to live your life glorifying God whom you can't see? Yes, yes, I do. All of me for all of you because of what he's done in my life. I want you to just walk with me just for a second. God's glory is best displayed in his love for sinful people. You hear that? God's glory is best displayed in his love for sinful people. God has created all things. You and I are accountable to this God. And you and I have said to this God, we don't want you to be God over our lives. I want to rebel against your way. I want to rebel against you. I want to sit as king of my life and sit on my throne. And yet in that way, God still loves us. God still loves us in the midst of our sin and rebellion. And what has God done for his own glory? He sent his son Jesus so that we might be saved. One of the most glorious passages of all of scripture is John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. Now when he's saying that he loved the world, he's talking about the rebellious world. He's talking about you and I and all the evil that we've ever done or ever will do. He loves the world. For, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You see, here at our church, we make much about Jesus because it's what Jesus has done on our behalf that is so amazing. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, came and lived a perfect life. He obeyed God the Father every step of the way. He never lied, he never stole, he never had a lustful thought, he never did any of that. But he came with the purpose to live a perfect life and to die a death that you and I deserve. See, the Bible tells us that sin must be punished. Your rebellion and my rebellion must be punished. And either we're going to pay for that through in eternity in hell, or we can believe in Jesus. For Jesus went to a cross, and the Bible tells us that on the cross, all of the sin of the world was placed on him. Your sin and my sin was placed on Jesus, and Jesus endured the wrath of God. 
He endured our punishment. And then Jesus died on that cross. But then God raised him from the dead, saying that his sacrifice was enough. And when you and I come to consider Jesus, and we say, we, we confess that we've been a sin, sinful person, and we repent of our old ways, and we believe in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we too now have new life. Our sins can be forgiven. And we can have the cure from the curse of sin done away with. And that begins our life of glorifying God. We begin glorifying God by repenting of our sin and believing in Jesus. That's your first act of bringing glory to God. And then that's how we live our lives, fully surrendered to the Lord. Lord, this is my life. All that I have, all that I am is yours because I want to make much of you because you have forgiven the sins of me. Here's my life. And sometimes God has to bring us to the end of ourselves in order to get our attention. Let me tell you the rest of Ben's story. Ben struggled for another year or so after that conversation that he and I had on that Saturday afternoon. And I watched him struggle in and out of the hospital, in and out of the hospital wrestling with his life and trying to make sense of what was going on and, and what he knew about God and all of this. And he got to the point in his life where he was in the hospital and he couldn't eat. Like it, he couldn't eat and it wouldn't stay down. He just couldn't eat and he was literally wasting away. And he finds himself in his hospital room all alone for a moment. Ben's at the end of himself. And you know what Ben does? Ben calls out to Jesus. And Ben says, Jesus, if you really are real, help me eat. If you, I'm all in. If you help me eat, I'm all in. Amen. Food is in front of him. He's able to eat. Yeah, in an instant, he had to come to the end of himself. And then he called on the name of the Lord. And guess what? Not only was he, he fed physically at that moment, in that moment, he found the grace of God. In that moment, he found salvation. In that moment, he went from the darkness into light. He went from being far from God to being a child of God. And in that moment, Ben found peace. Amen. And it was almost a year ago that I had the blessed opportunity to preach Ben's funeral. From that moment, you can ask his family, you can ask his friends. From that moment in that hospital room, Ben was different. Ben was a man prior to that that worried about his wife, that worried about his kids, that worried about the money, that worried about all this other stuff. But after that moment, Ben found Jesus and Ben found peace. God is glorified in us when we surrender all that we have to him. And so just say simply, Jesus, here am I, send me. Brothers and sisters, your purpose and meaning in life is not to make much of you. 
Your purpose and meaning in life is to make much of our Savior. And we have the beautiful gift of time. I don't know how much time you have. I don't know how much time I have left. But I'll tell you what, I am determined in my life to make as much noise as possible for my Jesus. Are you? With your work, with your time, with all that you are, are you willing to say, I'm going to find meaning and purpose when I live for the glory of God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words today. Father, we thank you for the hard lessons that we had to be reminded of today. And God, it is so easy to get caught up in making much of ourselves. It is so easy in our world to to seek to be an individual, to seek ambition, to seek honor and glory for ourselves. That is so easy. And Father, we know that that is the broad road that we see so many people chasing after. And God, if we find ourselves on that road today, we repent. Help us to repent, for we know the better way is the narrow road. We know the better way, the road that actually leads to peace. The destination of that end is peace with you in eternity. And so, Father, I pray today you'd help us to no longer believe the lies, but to hold on to what's true. And with our lives, with our resources, with all that we are, may we glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.